Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. names of 2018 coming up, so all this Mueller-Trump stuff's getting you down, just maybe you can stick around for that, because that's good stuff, right? Top dog names of 2018? I'd argue with that. Come on, juice. Joe, is it... What? Um, I, I heard the, juice. the dog's barking and then you juice. You want to yeah, name the dog juice? Yeah, name the dog juice. Okay. A decent name for a dog. Yeah. Um, so Joe's getting his hip replaced uh, this week, actually this morning, and uh, he will be gone all week long, and so it's uh, it's just me and all these people. Um, he is uh, a lot younger than you generally think of when you get a hip replacement, but I guess people are starting to lean toward why limp around or be in pain until you're in your 70s and then get it done, as whenever people get knees replaced, hips replaced, whatever... Shoulders is a common thing. When they're older, 
one of the common things people say is, why didn't I do this when I was, you know, 60 or 50 or whatever, instead of not being able to play golf and limp around in pain for the last 25 years? So I think it's going to start happening for more and more people when they're younger. I don't know. We'll ask Joe after he gets it done, see what he thinks. Um, and we got a bunch of people weighing in on the whole uh, whether or not you can have any coffee or anything to drink before you go in. Joe was told by some people on the uh, on the down low that it's actually okay. They just say zero tolerance to uh, stop stupid people from abusing it. We just got a nurse call in who said, yeah, my doctors say a little bit's a good idea. It actually makes it difficult to get the IV going if you haven't if you're dehydrated. Huh. You know, because they... I don't know if you've ever had anybody ask you this, but, you know, if they're having trouble finding a vein, which I hate even talking about, um, they often say if you had much to drink. Um, so if you're dehydrated, it's hard to do that. And then a tiny bit of coffee is going to make you feel better. But then we got this nurse. Stop. You're, you're encouraging idiots to make a bad decision. And every once in a while, we have people who say they had just a little bit of coffee. Then they throw up into their lungs during surgery to a lack of gag reflex, develop pneumonia and nearly die. Counterpoint, idiots don't need encouragement to make bad decisions. That's why they're idiots. Very good point. <laughs> idiots are going to do idiotic things. It's right there in their name. Let's start legislating for the non-idiots. Uh, coming up a little bit, we're going to talk to Gordon Chang, who we really like about this battle we got going on between us and China and the trade war and all that sort of stuff, and arresting that woman up in Canada, she was? Uh, which was quite a thumb in the eye of the Chinese, but apparently needed to be done. The stock market didn't like it much, to whatever extent you're worried about that. Uh, fact, and I am. And I am, too. Um, my 401k certainly is. We'll check in on the stock market a little bit later, but it was a rough week, partially because of this whole uh, U.S. versus China thing. So we're going to talk to an expert about that coming up. I thought this story was damn interesting, came across it over the weekend. What straight-A students get wrong. If you always succeed in school, you're not setting yourself up for success in life. What? Says uh, this guy, Dr. Grant, an organizational psychologist and an opinion writer for the New York Times. Hold on just one second, making sure my high school guidance counselor is listening. (laughs) And okay, yeah, we're good. A decade ago, he writes, at the end of my first semester teaching at Wharton, a student stopped by for office after, after, after office hours. He sat down and burst into tears. My mind started cycling through a list of events that could make a college junior cry in my office. Girlfriend, crime, what? Was Ben Shapiro on campus? Yeah, exactly. Ben Shapiro came to speak. No, he said, I just got my first A-minus of my life, his voice shaking. Got his first A-minus, went into his teacher, and burst into tears. Year after year, I watch in dismay as students obsess over getting straight A's. Some sacrifice their health. A few have even tried to sue their school after falling short. We've done those stories before, where they get a B-plus and they sue their school for unfairly grading them. All have joined the cult of perfectionism out of a conviction that top marks are a ticket to elite graduate schools and lucrative job offers. I was one of them, says this teacher and former student, obviously, who's writing this column. I started college with the goal of graduating with a 4.0. But he says, and this is where uh, the rubber meets the road, the evidence is clear. Academic excellence is not a strong predictor of career excellence. How am I not more aware of this? How is every parent not more aware of this? Is it big school trying to push this down your throat? I don't know. Or just our culture is so in love with the whole straight A thing. We've also done the stories how there are like 
gazillions more uh, percentage of straight A students now than there used to be. It's just the grading has changed. The grading scale has changed. So it's, it's a, the percentage of kids who get straight A's now is so much higher than it used to be. It doesn't mean near as much. So maybe you factor that in. But academic excellence is not a strong predictor of career excellence. Across industries, research research shows that the correlation between grades and job performance is modest in the first year after college. So even in the first year, it's not that strong. After a couple of years, completely goes out the window. No indication whatsoever. (laughs) This is my favorite story of the year. I know. It's really interesting, and more people should know this. Parents and students. For example, at Google, once employees are two or three years out of college, their grades have no bearing on their performance, they've found. So... Um, what companies have started doing is assess qualities like creativity, leadership, teamwork skills, social, emotional, or political intelligence. They're no longer basing it on grades because they've just found it, corporations. There's no, well, as we've said, correlation between hiring the straight-A students and having it turn out well. Yes, Michael? This is like what Mike Rowe talks about, yep. about how schools yeah. are always catering to colleges and not to manual labor. Uh, yes, straight-A students master cramming information and regurgitating it on exams, but career success is rarely about finding the right solution to a problem. It's more about finding the right problem to solve. They go back to a uh, study in the 60s that shows all this different sort of stuff. They did a study with architects, and they hired straight-A students and people that tended to be more B students. And it turned out the B students were way more creative and successful in their industry. In college, our creative architects earned about a B average in work and courses which caught their interest that they could turn in an, ext- an outstanding performance. This describes me pretty much in college, and I'm not, um, I certainly would never hold myself up as an example of anything, really. But this is the way I was. They found that people that are successful tend to be kind of around B-ish sort of people because in classes they're interested in, they really try hard and get A's. Classes that they think this is a bunch of crap, they don't try that hard. They don't. Do, and I did that absolutely. I took a World War II history class. I think I got 120% in that class. I didn't even did the extra credit work. I liked it so much. Um, classes that I thought this is just something they make you take and is never going to matter in my life, I didn't do nearly as well. I did just enough to get a B. And they have found that that is much uh, more in fitting with the people that are going to be successful actually out in the real world versus the people that take everybody, take every class. It's all about getting the A, uh, figuring out what the professor wants and getting the A. Getting straight A's requires conformity. Having an influential career demands originality. Yes. Um, Say it louder, whoever wrote this. In a study of students who graduated at the top of the class... The education researcher found that although they usually had successful careers, they rarely reached the upper echelons. Valedictorians aren't likely to be future visionaries. They typically settle into the system instead of shaking it up. I found that really interesting. This might explain why Steve Jobs finished high school with a 2.65 GPA. J.K. Rowling graduated from her college with a C average. Martin Luther King Jr. only got 1A in his four years at Morehouse University. Um... There's plenty of uh, examples out there, I'm sure, of people who got straight A's and then went on to do very well. But in general, I think that's pretty damned interesting. Maybe I just like it because I was anything but a straight A student and never would be. A little confirmation bias creeping in here, you think? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, but more than a little. A lot. (laughs) A tremendous amount. And the fact that I'm not going to emphasize to my kids being straight A students at all. Um. 
I can back it up with this article. Uh, we should link that article at armstrongandgetty.com. I think a lot of parents will be interested in armstrongandgetty.com. Stock market was a little rough last week. I don't know how much you pay attention to that. If you got a 401k, you, you pay at least some attention. It was definitely a rough week. I, I believe at this point we've lost all the earnings we picked up for the year, and the year's almost over. And it's at least to a, a great extent, if not all of it, about our relationship with China this last week, the trade war and all that sort of stuff. We're going to talk to Gordon Chang about that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Not surprisingly, we got a ton of texts about that whole... Being a straight-A student isn't the best way to go. Uh, we'll get to some of those a little bit later in the hour. And uh, I left out one part of the article that's pretty interesting on the uh, lifestyle and regrets of the straight-A student. So stay tuned for that on the Armstrong and Getty Show. We like Gordon Chang around here. Really interesting dude, especially when you're talking about China. Chang lived and worked in China and Hong Kong for almost two decades, most recently in Shanghai, as counsel to the American law firm an American law firm and um, columnist for the Daily Beast. His writings on China and North Korea have appeared all over the place. New York Times, Wall Street Journal, etc., 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 Weekly Standard, uh, and has a Twitter account, at Gordon G. Chang, which you should follow regularly like we do. Gordon Chang, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. So how much do you think the stock market bouncing around last week was, between, uh, was about our uh, relationship with China and tariffs and all that sort of stuff? I think that was a substantial part of it. Uh, Peter Navarro, the um, advisor to the president on trade, uh, thought it was more Federal Reserve. And, of course, Federal Reserve actions and statements uh, do move the markets. But uh, general China worries, I think, had a large uh, depressing effect on market activity last week. I don't remember if we've talked to you about this. Um, Agree or disagree, the the prevailing consensus seems to be that, yeah, China has been ripping us off for a long time. Everybody seems to agree on that. Whether or not taking it on now is a good idea is, uh, you know, is not as much a consensus. Where are you on this? Well, I think that we absolutely have to do it now. We should have done this a long time ago, um, decades ago. Um, but now we, we have really no choice because we've got an innovation-based economy. If you look at the S&P 500, about 35% of its value is our tech companies. That'll go up to about 40%, people say, in about five years. So uh, if we don't have the uh, ability to commercialize our innovation, we just don't have an economy. China does a lot of things that are uncool. Which bothers you the most? Oh, gosh, that, that's a great question for which I don't have an answer because across the board, uh, China's challenge is comprehensive. I, I guess um, the comment on last uh, this Saturday from a Chinese Air Force officer at an event sponsored by the Communist Party in China um, talking about uh, urging the attacking of American ships in international water, that probably bothers me the most. We saw in earlier this year that the Chinese blinded um, temporarily two American pilots um, over Djibouti in the Horn of Africa. We know that the Chinese have either been directly involved or complicit 
in the uh, sonic attacks against the American consulate in Guangzhou. Harming Americans, I think, is is the thing that gets me the most. But, you know, we've also got to consider its fundamental challenges to our economy and our societies. So there's really very little uh, room that we have. We, we've got just to meet these all of these challenges. Wow. Yeah, I meant specifically on the economic front, but I'm glad you brought up that other stuff because that's, you know, you, you can't forget this is kind of an all-encompassing problem that we've got with China and the way well, they so, act. But on, on the economics, it is... Is the biggest problem the way they steal our, our technology? Yes, I, I think that that's it, because really this is the core of the future of, of the American economy. And so um, if you have to choose among a pretty broad range of attacks on the American economy, um, it, tech would have to be it. So how do they do this? What's, what's their method for, for stealing our ideas? Well, they, they do it across the board. I mean, um, they do it in the traditional ways, and they, and they do it uh, cyber attacks. Um, remember, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, stood in the Rose Garden with President Obama in September 2015 and promised not to cyber attack U.S. companies for commercial purposes. Well, their cyber attacks never stopped, and they've picked up recently. And, and the reason is, I think, that uh, Xi Jinping has this two, Made in China 2025 initiative, which is to dominate 10 critical sectors. Well, they started out with 10. Now they've added 5G this year, so there's 11 sectors. Um, and so their their cyber attacks have increased because they've been trying to get more tech for their Made in China 2025. So I'm trying to – well, we'll jump to this. The arrest of that woman uh, last week – uh, up in Canada, she's a, she's a, she's in charge of a, a big company, and they're doing kind of all all kinds of awful stuff, uh, like you just alluded to. Um, was was that a bad move? Just bad timing? Did it have to be done? Where are you on that story? Yeah, um, the detention of uh, Meng Wanzhou, uh, who is the CFO, Chief Financial Officer of Huawei Technologies. Um, it had to be done. Um, she was involved, apparently, in deception to help Huawei evade U.S. sanctions on Iran. Um, Huawei itself um, was – there'd be no Huawei without theft of U.S. intellectual property, a lot of it from wow. Cisco. Wow. Wow. Uh, also from other companies. And, and they're continuing to, to thieve U.S. property, U.S. IP. So uh, this is this is something which is important. I think her arrest warrant was issued – August 22. So the timing, I think, is coincidence because she was taken um, December 1st uh, by the Canadian authorities just a few hours before Xi Jinping and uh, President Trump sat down for that dinner at Buenos Aires. Um, so people are, are saying, well, you know, this is not a good time to do it. But the question is like, yeah, OK, it should have been done a lot earlier, but right. it, it wasn't. And this was an opportunity to get her as she was transiting through Vancouver. So is... Whenever anything happens in Russia, there's the belief that, well, Putin had to be involved because you can't do anything in Russia without Putin be, being involved. Is China like that? China stealing intellectual property, whatever they've got going on with their various big companies, is that all got to go clear up to the top or not in China? Well, the fact that they're doing it in general obviously has to be approved by Xi Jinping. Because uh, Xi Jinping, uh, first of all, by the way, takes the view that he should have absolute control over the Communist Party and the Communist Party should have absolute control over society. He runs a police state, so you can't do anything in China without him knowing about it if he wants to. And if he doesn't want to know about it, it's because he doesn't want to know. 
Um, Interesting. So clearly, uh, theft of U.S. IP. He, he might not know about any one particular instance, which I'm sure he doesn't, but he knows that it's going on. And by the way, this is an important um, thing to remember when we talk about the fentanyl shipments by Chinese gangs. They killed 70,000 Americans last year. Um, the Chinese know about this. Um, they let it happen. Some Chinese officials profit from it, um, but the Chinese Communist Party is either complicit um, or is directly involved. So we ought to hold them accountable for this. You can't run a police state and disclaim responsibilities for what happens inside that state, especially when state institutions are involved. And with the theft of USIP, state institutions are involved. We're talking with Gordon Chang. So should we view Xi, because I haven't, as really a Putin-like character, that bad a guy? Um, I wish he were only as bad as Putin. Um, he is, I think, provide, he, he poses a, a greater challenge to the U.S. Russia is a puny state. It has an economy which is like $1.6 trillion, and about a third of their GDP is um, hydrocarbon sales. So it, it's it's... Russia is not an important country um, as, as as it is in our imaginations. Um, Putin is is only more dangerous than Xi Jinping in one respect, and that is he is more willing to grab other people's territory than Xi Jinping is. Xi Jinping sort of nibbles. Um, Putin actually just gobbles. Um, but they're basically bad actors who support each other, and uh, Putin gets his strength because of China. If there were no China, there would be a much less frightening Putin. Wow. Uh, This has been a bit of a scary interview, but it sounds like the sort of thing we should definitely be aware of. We've got to talk to you more about this in the future. Gordon Chang, and you're you're on Twitter at at Gordon G. Chang. Thank you very much. We really appreciate the time today. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, boy, that's uh, that's some interesting stuff. I, I don't know about everybody else, but I think I have way too... You know, I know China's an oppressive regime and all that, and they're building those islands, but I see them as... Well, not as evil as Russia. Apparently, Gordon Chang, who knows a lot more about it than me, has a different view. Yeah. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, now that the closed-door hearings are over, former FBI Director James Comey's certainly got a lot to say. And kids' screen time is changing the structure of their brain. Yeah, 60 Minutes told us last night. Stay tuned for all that interesting stuff on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. That information with Gordon Chang about China was really interesting. Yeah. I may have changed my uh, the way I look at China over that. Way too much focus on Putin and Russia, not enough on China and what they're China. up to. China! Except for, I think, by Trump and his administration. Maybe because he's a businessman. Maybe he has more of a, uh, a feeling for what China's been up to all these years. Also, I've got more on that whole um, being a straight-A student isn't all it's cracked up right. to be. Uh, some studies on that, really interesting stuff, a couple of things I left out, and we got a bunch of texts on that topic, so that's all on the way, too. Right now, let's get the news with Marshall Phillips. Well, he is talking a lot now. Former FBI Director James Comey calling on Democrats to set aside their policy differences and nominate the person with the best chance of defeating President Trump in 2020. Wow, so Comey's coming out full-throated against the sitting president. Yep. Comey was talking to an audience at New York City, in New York City last night. I can tell you that all of us should use every breath we have to make sure that the lying stops on January 20th, 2021. There you go. 
That's something. After his hearing last week, Republicans said Comey was repeatedly directed by an attorney from the Department of Justice not to answer certain questions. Now, now did he have this point of view about Trump when he was in charge of the investigation and how uh, strongly they went off after Hillary versus, uh, versus Trump yeah. or getting this whole Russia investigation started? That's, that's what needs to be found out. Yeah. Comey has agreed to return to Capitol Hill later this month to continue answering lawmakers' questions, even though he's not sure exactly why. Two things are clear to me. One, we could have done this in open setting. And two, when you read the transcript, you will see that we're talking again about Hillary Clinton's emails, for heaven's sake, so I'm not sure we need to do this at all. Two things are clear to me, too, uh, James Comey. One, you do whatever serves you best at any given moment, whatever's going to make you look the best you think. And two, your judgment is terrible. As to what you should do. Comey, after the uh, first round of hearings, also said, We have to remind ourselves, the President of the United States of America is publicly announcing that people are committing crimes, they should be in jail, private citizens. That's not okay. So James Comey making the rounds now after that uh, first round of closed uh, closed door hearings. On another note, with hundreds of thousands of protesters taken to the streets in France for another weekend, the government is trying to get everything cleaned up and tourist sites reopened today. This, as the finance minister calls the weekend's events, a catastrophe for the French economy. The country suffered about a billion dollars in damage and economic loss since the Yellow Vest protest began November the 7th. So when is Macron speaking? He is supposed to be speaking to the nation later on this week. I do not have an exact date yet. Yeah, don't, don't let that go by. This has been going on for four weeks, a month. Imagine nationwide riots yep. for a month. Holy cow. That is something. In Paris, the mess is even worse than in other areas as demonstrators burn cars, smash windows, and looted shops. It's believed 10,000 people took part in the demonstrations in Paris alone. Now, I like the narrative, at least from the beginning, that it's a, uh, a rising up against the uh, the gas tax that has to do with the global warming and all that. Because, right. you know, it serves my the point of view. Fuel taxes. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it serves my point of view that... You know, quit trying to ruin our economies over uh, trying to fix this global warming thing, because that's the way I feel. But there are a whole bunch of scumbags of all different political stripes, as we see all the time in the United States, that just like to take advantage of mayhem to smash stuff. Right. And those people need to be rounded up and jailed. All right, another note. Turns out kids' screen time is changing the structure of their brain. Early results from an ongoing study that's being paid for by the National Institute of Health shows that using smartphones tablets and video games is physically changing the brains of adolescents. That's according to a report that was on CBS 60 Minutes. The study is following more than 11,000 9 to 10 year olds for a decade to see how childhood experiences impact the brain and affect their emotional development and mental health. The early results from the brain scans are showing that more than seven hours of daily screen use leads to premature thinning of the brain cortex the outermost layer that processes information coming in from the physical world. Now, there is the caveat that they're not sure what's causing it about the amount of time spent with screen or that it's necessarily even a bad thing. Right. right. This is a thing that, that happens 
to other kids. It just happens normally later in life right. than these kids are experiencing it. Right. The, the, I have a problem with the term screen time, though, because there's just, I know from my personal reaction, there's a huge difference between me reading um, a classic work of literature on a screen. Right. Versus doing crap. I mean, it's just mindless crap on a screen. My brain reacts differently. I feel differently. I don't understand. How, I don't see how you could lump all this together. And it's got some implications for schooling because a lot of the stuff my third grader does in school is on a screen. They have these uh, various websites right. that they go to, and there's maps, uh, and it seems great. You can't tell me that that's bad for them. Just inherently, because it's coming out of a screen, unless there's something to do with the light. Uh, 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 of, a, of, a, of a tablet or something. Right. It doesn't make any sense why that would be bad for you learning math on a screen. Well, the study director, uh, Gaya Dowling... In other words, if you spend seven hours a day studying math on a screen, how can right. that possibly be bad for you? Gaya Dowling uh, pretty much said what you guys have just said about the study so far. We don't know if it's being caused by the screen time. We don't know yet if it's a bad thing. It won't be until we follow them over time that we will see if there are outcomes that are associated with the, the differences that we're seeing in this single snapshot. I have no doubts whatsoever. I mean, I'm convinced 100% that a lot of this social media and staring at our phones and getting likes and Twitter and response is bad for us. But I'm not convinced that just staring at a tablet or your phone on its on its own is bad for us. This sounds like a little bit of the hysteria over television back in the day or a variety of other things. Rock and roll music. Rock and roll music. Watch TV. Look what happened to us. And that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. I've always had that problem with television when people lump all television yeah. in together. There's unbelievably educational or great art things that you can watch on TV. Or you can watch crap and waste your life. Uh, it's not all the same. And I feel the same way about the, just these, these little screens, whether it's tablets or whatever. Um, but I hope they figure that out. I mean, if it's actually the, the, the blue light coming out of there that's thinning the walls of our brain or something. Well, I'm wondering, though. Or maybe that's a good thing. They don't even yeah, know. Uh, what I'm wondering, though, is maybe it's just cutting down on the social, the actual social interaction between the kids yeah. as they grow up. Yeah, well, there, there's, there's no doubt there's, there's, a, there's a lot of that going on. There's less human interaction going right. on now than ever before, and that has a role to play in depression and everything else. I don't know, but I'm glad they got their eye on it. I try to remind my kids that when they see me looking at my phone while they're doing something, I'm sitting on the couch, that I'm reading a book. Because, you know, the idea that you see your parents reading books tends to lead to you being more interested in books. Right. But they don't know I'm reading a book. <laughs> they might think I'm playing Candy Crush or <laughs> reading about uh, Kim Kardashian or something like right, that. Right, right. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing like everybody else. The idea of being a straight-A student came up about a half an hour ago. I'll, I'll re-hit the highlights of that. At least one professor thinks it's not the best way to, way to go, and we got a bunch of text on that topic, which is interesting from a parent standpoint or a student standpoint. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. To welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show, individual number one. That is Joe Getty. I have nothing to say. 
Good morning, one and all. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you sound fine. You actually sound like you're here, which is a little weird. I thought you were going to sound like you were on the phone. No. No, I got the whole uh, Gizmotron hooked up here, and uh, and everything's great. Are you in that surgery room where they're about to cut your leg off? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, they're halfway through. How's it coming, boys? <laughs> not, not bad. Not bad. All right. So, Keep up the good work. Uh, I'm doing this by myself this week um, because Joe's getting a new hip, brand new hip for yeah, Christmas. Buddy. Is that what you asked for for Christmas, a new yep. hip? Yep, I did. I did. And, uh, and the left one for my birthday. I did have the question earlier of, uh, do they let you keep your old one, like to make a planter out of it or some art? You know, that's funny. I was thinking of that. I was going to ask my uh, fabulous surgeon, uh, Dr. Paul, whether he would be willing to preserve it for me. But I believe it is medical waste. And I think there are laws involved. Of course, you know, whatever happened to property rights, Jack? Yeah, what about the Constitution? Yeah. Pos- yeah. Possession's nine-tenths of the law, but you won't possess it after like 11 o'clock, so... Hey, Joe, yeah. did you mark that hip so that they know which one it is? Oh, no, I haven't. They tell you not to uh, before you get to the hospital because they have an, an official uh, which part of the body marking process they go through. It's kind of a ceremony, really. There's songs and a prayer. And, but, yeah, they, because they said sometimes people come in, like, with a big X on their hip. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, your elbow, your knee, whatever you're getting operated on, and they don't know, does that mean not this one or this one? So they've come up with an official procedure, I guess. We got a, a number of texts earlier about the whole you're not supposed to drink anything or eat anything. Yeah, I wondered. I was looking at the email, and, and I thought it looked like that had come up. I'm a surgical nurse, and you can have clear liquids like water, coffee, tea, up until two hours before surgery. Actually, we have 20% of the doctors where I work that are now starting to allow that. They've decided that it helps with IVs and reduces nausea and a bunch of other stuff. Then we got other nurses say, don't do it. You're sending bad information to idiots. You'll kill them. Here's the deal as far as I can discern. And listen, am I a doctor? No. I'm a talk show host. So, you know, you probably wouldn't take advice from your doctor on how to do a talk show either. But I did a bunch of reading about this last night because I found it so annoying. And it would appear that... And, and forgive me if I'm repeating a point somebody else made, but all the studies and all the studies of the studies indicate that what you just said is fine. Um, it is mostly a, a desire to avoid the one in however many thousand uh, of a person who would have something in their gut and they'd, they'd upchuck and choke or whatever, and there'd be a massive uh, malpractice suit. Sure. And then they'd be saying, well, the modern indications are blah, 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 and the lawyer would thunder to the jury that blah, blah, blah. How dare they take a chance? Blah, 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 blah. And so it's it's about litigation, like mm-hmm. everything. God, I, I, they've got to figure out just specifically the coffee part of it. I can handle being dehydrated, but if you're a caffeine addict, not having any coffee, you just, you're in a bad mood, you feel weird, there's all kinds of problems. Yeah, and it is, it's particularly annoying to me. <clears throat> because the fact that, uh, you know, I'm already thirsty, and I hate being thirsty. I could use a cup of coffee. Yeah, the food is fine, but... Um, I can know, stand to not eat for a day. But what's Look more, at me. What's, <laughs> what's more galling to me than this, and Jack, you can totally relate to that, is that I'm going through this, so blanking morons don't have a ham sandwich half an hour before they go into <laughs> surgery. Because it was, I read a, a piece last night. It essentially said hospitals are concerned about complex instructions that won't be understood, and people will uh, make mistakes and blah blah. And you know, talking to medical professionals, I have some sympathy for that point of view. If you tell people, look, you can have clear liquids, 
which is these three things up until this time. Vodka, like for instance. Like, I'm sorry? Vodka, rum. It thins the blood. Sure. Um, and then this up to that time, they will show up with a half-eaten pepperoni pizza well, that's their in problem. their mouths. We, we get, as Sean said this earlier about some other topic, idiots do idiotic things. It's right there in their name. You can't stop hmm. idiots. That's well, why they're called idiots. <laughs> and an argument could be made in terms of natural selection, but uh, the hospitals and, and surgeons it's don't like see preg- it that way for good reason. They lose their house. It's like the pregnancy drinking thing. It's exactly like that. Yeah, but you're, I would, will tell you this. Your discussion uh, stimulated just a delightful email here from uh, Matt in Boise who tells a tale about uh, eating a whole bunch before a colonoscopy. Matt, I can't. <clears throat> can't tell you how much I enjoyed that tale. Oh, it really God. was delightful. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Well, I've he heard some bad the, things. He took the uh, Drano drink that you're supposed to drink before a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, evidently, it did the job, but not without you know some uh, some drama. Um. So uh, so when do you actually like uh, get uh, anesthetized and stuff? Ah, to somewhere around the middle of the day, I guess. I was oh, really okay. hoping for an earlier table. I slipped a major D at 20, but he just rolled his eyes. I've noticed you mentioned the doctor's name a number of times. Did you make a trade deal that if you mention his name three times, he charges you half a much? Or how, how does that work? Roughly. It's roughly the term. No, I, I just mentioned a fictional first name. <laughs> his, his name might be anything. Could be. Dr. Al Anonymous. Certainly. Great dude, though. I hope he didn't drink last night or anything. You listening to me, Dr. Al? He went with a real doctor like our old uh, our old uh, producer, Dominic, who died a couple of weeks ago. He went to a dentist in some guy's garage and <laughs> saved him money. <laughs> no, I've actually been to this facility, and it looks just like a hospital. <laughs> Did you um, take in any of the information over the weekend, or because you knew you would be off all week, you ignored it? I, I couldn't ignore it entirely. I'm, I'm familiar with some of the travails of the White House. Is, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. but there's a lot. Yeah, and it was the usual stew of uh, overreported, misreported, and hmm, that's interesting. Uh, so a little something for well, everyone. Well, I'll tell you what, it sure looks to me like we're headed toward a do you impeach a president because he lied about sex again? <laughs> I think we're going to do the same thing again. And the House might say yes, and the Senate would say no again. Well, with all due respect to the fevered enjoyment of the anti-Trump types, the fact that if he can say, look, I pay off all sorts of chicks all the time. I mean, that, that rips the guts right out of the campaign. That is a case. weird um, situation that he's in where if he can make the argument that I've paid lots of chicks over the whim over the years to keep quiet, it's, it's something I do to protect myself and, and my wife. Right. Um, it helps him. Right. Exactly. I've almost 100 times. Well, yeah, you can't say this was primarily about the campaign this time. The other 11 times were not. I grant you that, Your Honor, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. It just won't It won't wash. So that'll be weird to watch. But, yeah, but, uh, God, they're, surely they're, if the, the president can find a chief of staff, they're going to unleash a uh, an onslaught of PR about all of, you know, similar-sized campaign finance violations over the last 20 years, and something tells me it'll be a blizzard. It'll be... A- well, Obama got fined $400,000, his his campaign, one of the largest fines in, uh, in the history of that sort of thing. There you go. For a for bunch instance. of technicalities, and people didn't think, oh, my God, he can't be president. Yeah, yeah. I was reading the WAPO thing about all the contacts with Russia from the campaign, Um and, you know, I don't know if, if they find something, they find something. And I'm well, gonna, it all depends on what the contact was. Yeah, right. so there are more people, they were in contact with more people more often than we're, we previously knew. But if it's all about the hotel and business, you get to do that. 
Right, not only that, but even the WAPO, it seemed to characterize the vast, vast majority of the contacts as coming from the Russians. You know, Vlad uh, Boy calls me up and says, hey, we think you can work out the meeting. What do you think? I'm thinking, all right, uh, yeah, I'll get back to you. All right. Well, that's a contact with the Russians. I hope you can stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I have the 10 germiest places during the holiday season, which is pretty gross and funny. Ah, that reminds me, I've got to take my super special uh, pre-surgery shower bath. What's the first day you'll be able to call us having a, with your brand new hip? Tomorrow, you think? Or? Uh, yeah, at least briefly. Do I'll call it, you briefly. Do it when you're drugged up. That'd be awesome. I'm usually drugged up. <laughs> We're going to talk to one of our favorite lawyers coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.